This is Performance Delivered, insider secrets for digital marketing success with Stefan Horst and Dave Antiel. Welcome to the Performance Delivered, insider secrets for digital marketing success podcast, where we talk with marketing and agency executives and learn how they build successful businesses and their personal brand. I'm your host, Stefan Horst. The topic for today's episode is how to use offline events and experiences to create first-party data for digital marketing. Here to speak with me is Michael Connell, who is the VP of Marketing at AnyRoad, a software company that helps its customers develop high-impact experiential programs. Michael's experience spans multiple roles in technology and professional services companies. He's a B2B marketing and demand generation professional, specializing in building high-performance teams, leveraging marketing technology, and developing international markets. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stefan. Great to, uh, great to be on. Well, Michael, before we talk about uh, today's topic, um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in your career and, and how did you end up in marketing? I think, uh, well, I'm a business major in college. And so one of the things that one of the subjects and topics that I enjoyed the most was was marketing. And uh, I decided to go deeper afterwards and straight out of my undergrad did a did a master's uh, program called the Marketing Practice Master's Program at Smurfit Business School in Dublin. And that's kind of a hands-on program where you, in addition to pursuing an academic qualification, you run a commercial market research agency. And so we do a bunch of research for anything from kind of CPG brands to, to B2Bs and financial services brands. So I got a good exposure to different industries and, and then uh, made the jump as my, in my first role into uh, professional services at Deloitte. And I was there for a couple of years pursued that career in professional services before making a move to technology marketing. Uh, my first role was at a company called Bentley Systems. Uh, they're about a 30-year-old 30, 30 software company from Exton, Pennsylvania, specializing in infrastructure. Like uh, I would consider them the, the, the top competitor of Autodesk. They went public last year or two years ago, and it was nice to see, see a company of that, with that pedigree do well. But you know, really, that was my first exposure to technology marketing, very international role and uh, have stayed with tech ever since. And, and there's something very rewarding about working in the sector and, and uh, especially early stage companies, helping to build them out and, and help them grow. It's, I think it's always great to see, you know, your own activity um, yielding results in form of, you know, whether it's revenue grow, um, company growth, et cetera. That's, that's always very gratifying. I'll just add to that. Marketing has definitely changed from from even when I started. You know, it's it, there's mm -hmm. so much more is measurable, so much more is trackable, and uh, you know, you alluded to experiences and events, and that's something that we're trying to do is try to try to add some digital like measurement uh, capabilities to offline experiences. Yeah. Now, obviously, today we're want to talking about uh, experiential marketing. Before we dive deeper into the topic, can you explain for the listeners that might not be so familiar with experiential marketing? What is it? Well, I think it's, it's, it's very interesting that you ask that because it's experiential marketing is not a commonly used term in the industry. You know, it, it can, experiential marketing can refer to anything from a pop-up marketing activation, like a sampling or giving away a product at a music festival. It could be a visitor center for a brand. So if BMW wanted to do factory tours or if indeed BMW wanted to do driving experiences, all these opportunities for brands to engage with consumers uh, with experiences that have a, 
uh, have a sensory component to them. I think that's the big thing about experiential marketing is it has a sensory component. So it's going to trigger at least three of your senses. So if you're driving a car on the BMW driving experience, yes, you're, you've got touch, you've got sound, and you've got uh, sight. You know, you're going to be, you know, a very, very stimulating experience is going to be driving a BMW around the track. So what I think of, of people when I refer to experiential marketing, it's really experiences that are run by brands in order to engage consumers. Now, with the pandemic over the last, what is it now, one and a half, two years, I assume that that part of marketing took a negative hit. Is that, is that a fair uh, statement? Yeah, what, what, you know, from, from the research that we've seen, you know, just like, let's look at North America alone. Uh, experiential marketing was about $72 billion in spend in 2019. And we think there was about a 10% decline in that top line spending uh, in 2020. But we also see a lot of that budget starting to recover and more activity coming back to the market. You know, one of the things that we also learned from, from the pandemic was that, you know, virtual experiences have emerged as something that's kind of normal and acceptable. You know, in fact, a bunch of folks prefer virtual experiences to in-person. And so, you know, but I think we're starting to see in-person make a serious comeback uh, as, of, as of recently. Now, it sounds like that due to the pandemic, there is a kind of a new area or a new approach to experiential marketing that kind of evolved or, or came about. Do you see that as being there to stay? Or do you think now that people can gather again, that the, the, the virtual element is going to disappear over time and, and the stronger in-person activity is going to come back? Well, I'd say that... Um 2020 was definitely the, the rise of the virtual and the hybrid experiences. And from, from our, our research and, our, and how we surveyed our customers, but also getting sentiment back from, from consumers themselves, we, we definitely think virtual is here to stay. Um, but it's going to be part of the mix, you know, uh, whereas last year we're limited to exclusively doing virtual experiences in many examples. And we were able to help some of our customers pivot their experience completely online for, uh, for the year. You know, the best example of that would be Michael's Stores. They're a, a very uh, famous arts and crafts retailer that focus on the maker community here in North America. And they had you know, about 20,000 classes in the last year online uh, that engaged over a million people. Um, and what they saw is their audience uh, reach increased by around 60%. So they, you know, they were able to reach a lot more people, both geographically and volume-wise, through these online programs. And that's something that's attractive for brands is, uh, is just to kind of get that scale, that reach. But uh, I think you, you alluded to it there. There's, there's Zoom fatigue. People are, are sick of sitting down and looking at screens. So, and there's a lot of pent-up demand, which we're seeing for folks to get back uh, doing in-person experiences. And I think uh, the benefit of if you want to do virtual, you're just going to have to invest in a little bit more quality of experience and quality of content if you want people to show up. That's going to be super important going forward. So what do, do brands will have to do in order to motivate people to show up to in-person experiences? So for in-person experiences, one of the things we're seeing is, is you know, very clear guidance on your safety precautions that are being taken. You know, I think if you, the more ambiguity that you leave in there, you know, the less likely that you are to have a booking. And so you know, a cohort of our customers are, are folks like... Uh, like Budweiser, like Sierra Nevada, that have what we call brand homes. So these are uh, their breweries where you can actually go do tours and tastings. 
and, and folks like that are, are 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 really clear about you know the precautions and the safety uh, safety measures they're taking for their guests. I also think there's an opportunity to provide more private luxury or exclusive experiences. So if you go to somewhere like 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 the Budweiser Brewery, there's the Brewmaster Tour, which is a private experience with a, in a smaller group. And they're seeing, you know, that, that, that's been really, really popular since they've reopened post-pandemic. I suspect that's because, you know, people want to get out uh, and engage with folks, but they feel a little bit more comfortable in smaller groups. Uh, and they also have a little bit of pent-up uh, savings, and they're willing to splurge a little bit on, on, on premium experiences. Interesting. Now, can you highlight some campaigns that you've seen over the last couple of months that that really grabbed you, that you thought they were really great? Well, you know, uh, I, 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 there's going to be a little bit of bias here. I'm going to give you three examples. Um, two are going to be automotive. I've already, you know, I've already referred to BMW's driving experiences. But, you know, the first is Porsche. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Porsche brand. And, you know, one of the things I haven't been able to participate in, but I've seen is they have uh, driving experiences now where you can uh, go on these, you know, these driving trips where you go through through the mountains on on special routes with groups of fellow Porsche owners and there's accommodation there's training there's 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 cars provided so that's a pretty unique immersive experience that's going to quite you know really add to that broad loyalty loyalty that they already have and and, and strengthen it another automotive one which i think is really interesting is um the the Gazoo Racing Club, which is a Toyota campaign that they that they were running in in Australia. Now Toyota has really started to invest in its uh, racing credentials or its high performance uh, models. So they've got the Gazoo Racing brand, which they're bringing to models like the Yaris and the Corolla. Um, but what the Toyota team in Australia did was they they launched these these track days and these members only experiences where you could take the the, the Yaris GR on the track. Um, and not only was that to a, a great at engaging these these enthusiasts who are most more loyal to the brand and spend more, but it got them great press coverage and awareness of the brand. So really helpful to to change the perception of the Toyota brand into something that's a little bit more high performance. The final one, which I think is really interesting, is uh, is is Diageo's investment in what they call whiskey tourism, and so they made a two hundred ten million dollar investment into their whiskey brand homes in uh, in Scotland. And so that includes big investment in the Johnny Walker experience in Edinburgh. So that's definitely one of the most impressive visitor centers, brand homes that I've ever, ever, uh, ever seen developed. So worth checking out for sure. Where I see a lot of potential is with, with brands is kind of the marrying the offline with the online part. And obviously today's topic is around how to use offline events and experiences to create first party data for digital marketing. Can you talk a little bit about how companies can achieve that? How can companies use these offline events to generate first-party data? Well, I think, you know, first-party data is is something that's going to be really powerful to brands, you know, and, and, I, and I can go into why that's it's becoming more important to, a little later. But, you know, first of all, when... When you think of an experience in an event that you've attended, typically you're going to sign up, you're going to register for that event and, and provide your contact information. And I think uh, what happens there is there's a there's a value exchange uh, between the brand and the consumer for that data. So let's say if it's the, the Porsche driving experience, I'm happy to give you my contact information and some additional information around my preferences, the types of vehicles I like, 
the, the types of food and drink I might like for that experience. So you get a rich set data set that is proprietary to Porsche, but that is signed up and, and acquired based on on trust. And so I think it's just important to think to think about the, the types of data that you can collect there. And you know, when we look at what, what what's there is kind of this, this explicit data or declared data, which is the form fills. It's the direct feedback that you get. It's those preference indicators that you provide. But I think it's another thing that's really powerful is what we call inferred data. So that can be captured from people's behaviors. And so let's say uh, I do the Porsche experience and there's uh, and someone notices that I'm a little heavy on the foot. I drive a little faster or I'm a little bit more of a cautious driver. I can, you know, refer to potentially, you know, buying a new model in the future. And so there's a bunch of behavioral data and insights that we can also get from these experiences. It's just how effective are you at capturing and tracking that? Yeah, I mean, collecting, collecting like standard information about email address, name, those kind of things are easy to, to collect because you fill that into a form and then you kind of ingest that into a system. But as you said, if you're a little bit heavy on the foot and then there are certain behavioral things, how can companies capture those? Well, I think it's, it's remarkable how many companies do not capture simple contact information or if they do, it just sits in a Excel spreadsheet or, or a form system and never connects to their, to their main CRM. And so one of the things we, we, we recommend folks do is just make sure their systems are connected. And so you can have connected systems or you're capturing feedback, behavioral insights by having a single piece of technology. And I'm going to shamelessly plug any road. We can provide you know, the, the, the sign-up forms, the, the surveys, and the behavioral insights from these experiences in that way. But you can also provide that by you know, putting together a stack of technology that does that. And so I think it's important when you look at an experience, it's possible for the instructor or the facilitators of the experience to also document pieces of their account up from the event. So not only you have an instructor so who, who provides concierge-like notes in that experience, and it's, it is possible to scale that, particularly for something like a, a driving experience for Porsche. Now, Michael, why should companies capture these, these first-party data information? Obviously, cookies are going to disappear in the future, um, which doesn't really have much to do with this. But, but why is it important to take that offline information and put it into your online system and, and use it? Well, I think, is, is, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there, right? It's, is there some, some big changes that are going on in the market that are, that are requiring brands to, to really make an investment in first-party data? And the first of those is, is simply privacy regulations such as GDPR and CCPA, right? We're being forced to make changes to how we track and market to customers and how we retain their data. And, and that's why I really like the idea of experiences and this trust-based exchange of, of, of information. And so the tracking one in terms of the deprecation of the cookies and Apple's IDFA tracking changes, those are also going to make a huge impact on, on brands' abilities to track and engage. And um, I know that Google has postponed some of its changes for at least a year, but the, the end is in sight for the cookie and brands have to make, uh, make changes to, to make sure that they have as much proprietary first-party data that they have. And that'll make, make sure that they can do proper identity resolution in the future and proper targeting of, of folks that are win willing to engage with their brand. But when we really think about this, it's, it's really down to the fact that consumer trust has been broken over the years. And, and, and this is coming from someone that's been working 
like you, Stefan, in in advertising and ad- advertising technology for quite a while now. And I think uh, there's there's a cynicism about uh, how technology companies use your data and and, and uh, how marketers can reach you. And you know, I've, I saw a survey from Salesforce that said seventy two percent of consumers would stop buying from a company if they had privacy concerns about them. And, that, and that's quite remarkable. And so that's a real change in terms of how people uh, react to how their data is used. And so I think it's this is why first-party data that's collected based on trust is going to be super, super important going forward. Yeah, I was just about to say that. I mean, when you're going to those experiences, as you explained, for example, this, this Porsche experience, I mean, you're bonding with the brand and and you saying yes to sharing your information and providing information about yourself is, is much easier done. The, the convincing factor is much easier than um, if you are on a website of Porsche and a pop-up would come up and say, hey, are you okay with us tracking you, for example? You know, because at that moment when, when the system asks you, are you okay with tracking you, um, there's always a hesitation. We actually have a client that um, implemented a software, I think it's called OneTouch, that allows users to opt in or out of tracking. And what they have seen is like an 80% drop-off of people that, or basically 80% of people said, no, they don't want to be tracked. And you know that obviously creates a huge problem for companies um, at the end of the day. Now, what kind of data can be collected from experiences? And as a second question there is, how can marketers use those? Can you can you provide some examples for that? Well, I think um, you know the, the, there's the, there's that explicit data I referred to, which is the stuff that you provide in that form fill. So you know that's your your first name, your demographics. You know a lot of brands connect you know age gate some of their experience, particularly in in alcohol, and it's possible for 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 brands to to kind of ingest some really really interesting stuff, right? So. If I am running uh, an experience, I can collect data through those form fills. I can collect it on site with contactless technology using QR codes where you sign up and visit a website and you can recognize IP. You can deliver surveys. You can drive social engagement experiences and, and track things with hashtags. It's even possible to, uh, to really just make sure that you're connecting those, those experiences to point to sale information. So let's look at an example of. Dick Sporting Goods, who, who launched some very successful experiential retail programs where they've converted stores to these new house of sport concepts where you can go to a climbing wall, batting cages, all kinds of cool experiences in store. And so they track, they track your engagement there, but it's also possible to understand you know, how, long, you know, how long you spent in store and then how much you spent afterwards. So you're, you're connecting the dots between these different business systems. And the, you know, there's products like IntelliCheck, which can can, can reconcile data between uh, identity, like driver's license, ID verification, and your contact records in your in your business systems like CRM. So, it's there's a lot of data that you can get from experiences, and that includes you know behavioral insights that you can pick up too. I think the second part of your question was how do you use that information? How do you make it actionable? And I think there's no limit to the amount of data you can collect. But our advice to folks is. Only collect what you can action or what you think you may action in the future. Otherwise, you're going to have, you know, a bunch of technical data, a bunch of data that's just just not useful, and it's not helpful to the consumer or to the brand to declare to collect it. You know, I, I like to think about, you know, maybe some alcohol brands, and let's say you're you're doing some new product development, and you know, you're Budweiser, and you have natural light drinkers, which natural light is a 
is a kind of a, a very budget con- conscious beer. It's a kind of a, a first step into the Budweiser brand, but maybe Budweiser is going to try and upsell you on a, on a craft beer, which has got a, probably a, a higher LTV if a, for a regular craft beer drinker than it would be for natural light just due to the price point. And it may be important for them to, to, to be able to get some of the insights from that brewery experience to be able to market uh, new products to you. And so I think those behavioral insights allow you to create some very interesting segments for targeting and activation through digital channels, through email, and even for web personalization. Now, earlier we talked about um, virtual events and, and, and offline events. Um, you also said that, um, you know, from your perspective, those virtual events are not going away. Where do you see um, the biggest difference between the, between the two? as it relates to kind of doing the events? And then um, how do you ensure success for virtual and, and kind of the offline events? So I think, you know, when you look at virtual experiences, the ones that are most successful and the ones that are most memorable have that sensory component. So it's, it's possible for experiential marketing to be virtual. And, you know, I think I wrote a blog post about this you know, at the start of the pandemic, uh, there's like an academic term called embodied cognition, which is, you know, the, the impact on your, your, your memories and, and your experience by these kind of sensory components. And so let's take uh, Michaels, who, who are doing some wonderful online craft classes. And so they could have a cricket machine, which is like an electronic, you know, printing device that you can do some really interesting stuff on it. And so not much point doing the cricket class unless you have a cricket printer, but you know, you're getting that sensory component. You're getting the online instruction, you have your cricket printer and you're able to produce some really interesting stuff. And it's, it's a whole guided experience where you can ask questions of your, of your instructor. It's pretty small format. Some of them are very large, but some of them are small. So it's very interactive. So I think is, is if you have a sensory component, you have an opportunity for participants to interact or you have some sort of, element which makes it memorable and a lot of that for for folks on the memorability side has been using celebrity influencers you know and having them do things like online tequila classes or online cooking classes and i thought i think i saw some really interesting stuff from uber during the pandemic about uh, using mario lopez for for the cinco de mayo celebrations and uh, he brought folks into his house and and showed them some of his favorite recipes and cooked for them from online so I think we saw a lot of creativity and, and ideas that can, can show you how to do some, some pretty impactful virtual experiences last year. Oh, thanks for sharing. Now, before we, before we come to an end to today's uh, podcast episode, um, Michael, what is your advice for marketers out there looking to collect more insights and data from experiences? I think one of the things that people forget, and, and I think you know, another byproduct of this whole work from home thing has been productivity has been up but collaboration has been down. And I think you also mentioned it earlier on, there was a decline in experiential marketing budgets. And in order for those budgets to go up, you know, people need to come together in the organization and make sure that those experiences have impact. So long way to answer your question. I think my advice to folks is to reach out to other teams within marketing and within your organization. If you're on the digital side, you're going to be in need of high-quality first-party data pretty soon. So make sure you talk to your experiential marketing team and, and discuss what type of insights they can surface. See how you can help that team put technology in place in order to, to generate those insights and connect it to your systems. 
if you're on the experiential marketing side and you saw a decline in your budget over the last 18 months, a great way for you to go get more budget is to work with your digital team uh, and have a, a proper omni-channel experience and, and, and a fully integrated campaign. So I, I think that's my main piece of advice is start talking to one another and, uh, and really good things can happen. Perfect. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining me on the Performance Silhouette podcast and sharing your thoughts on experiential marketing. Now, if people want to uh, find out more about you or any road, how can they get in touch? Well, first of all, it's uh, they can visit the website www.anyroad.com or just uh, email me. My email address is moc, M for Michael, O uh, and C at anyroad.com. So moc at anyroad.com and they can reach me directly if any questions or I'm happy to reach out to people. Perfect. Well, thanks everyone for listening. If you like the Performance Delivered podcast, please subscribe to us or leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. If you want to find out more about Symphonic Digital, you can visit us at symphonicdigital.com or follow us on Twitter at SymphonicHQ. Thanks again and see you next time. Performance Delivered is sponsored by Symphonic Digital. Discover audience-focused and data-driven digital marketing solutions for small and medium businesses at symphonicdigital.com.